Welcome into Real Pod Wednesdays. Dan Hope joined by Griffin Strom as Ohio State is about to begin its second half of a regular season. Buckeyes coming off a bye week, a quiet week for Ohio State, but certainly not a quiet week in college football as it was the most hyped weekend of the season by far. And I would say it lived up to the hype as someone who, despite not covering a game, spent pretty much my entire day Saturday watching college football anyway, because there were a lot of good games on and a lot of stuff happened. And I think after watching it, certainly some new thoughts from my end about who Ohio State's top competitors are this year and who might be the top contenders in the college ball playoff race. Yeah, and we talked a lot about those big matchups last week on the show. And, you know, we I think we both kind of shied away there from, from picking upsets in the at least the, the Michigan-Penn State game and the Alabama-Tennessee game. But I think we were, we were talking about the fact that, you know, the way Tennessee was looking and the way Alabama was kind of surviving some of those close scares there, that was definitely a game that could go the other direction and it did because the Volunteers, and the Volunteers are back right now. Let's let's be honest. They move up to number three in the AP poll with a 52-49 to 49 win over Alabama. Alabama did make it interesting, Dan, late because, you know, Tennessee went up big in the first half. What was it, like 28-10 to 10 or something yep. like that at one point in that game? And you were kind of thinking, man, you know, Tennessee might really run, run away with this thing. But, you know, Bryce Young and company made it interesting, came back, retook the lead, but ultimately... And you know, we've seen, you know, time and time again in, in regular season games, especially I feel like over the past, you know, several years where a, a team will get very close to knocking off Alabama. Not that they haven't suffered regular season losses, you know, here and there in the past, but they'll get close. And then but in the end, they'll crumble when they need to make that final play, that final drive. You know, it doesn't materialize. Not the case, though, Dan, on Saturday as Hendon Hooker and company end up finishing off the Crimson Tide, handing Alabama its first loss of the season. And Hendon Hooker is looking like, you know, a, a real a legit threat to C.J. Stroud is a, a Heisman contender right now. I think, you know, most odds makers have him, you know, just below Stroud as far as those odds are concerned. Yeah, I wish I wouldn't have hedged on last week's podcast where I wanted to pick Tennessee to win and didn't quite fully commit to it because I, I, I did end up picking Tennessee. I mean, I, I did end up before the game picking Tennessee to win, but I, I wasn't quite ready to, to, to go in on it. Last week's pod, you know, it's hard to bet against Nick Saban. But, you know, I I did kind of have a feeling just based on what we were seeing from Alabama that they could be ripe for the upset there, especially against a team like Tennessee with how explosive they've been offensively. If you look at the major categories now, I I think one of them, Ohio State's one, Tennessee's two. I think scoring offense and I think total offense, Tennessee's one and Ohio State two. And so he has a a legitimate top two offense in the country. And I think in Alabama defense that I thought going into the season was going to be really, really good, just hasn't looked like that. And and certainly not a defensive showcase from either team in this game as it was 52 to 49. I, I think both teams had almost an identical number of yards around the 560 yard range. And so both offenses had big days. I mean, Bryce Young had a great day. I think if if Alabama had won, we'd probably be talking about him inserting himself right back in, into the Heisman race. And that Alabama offense certainly made its share of plays and looked dynamic in that game. But Tennessee really looked dangerous in that game. And, and I come out of that game thinking, when I think ahead to potential college football playoff opponents for Ohio State, 
I come out of that game thinking Tennessee might be the most dangerous potential matchup for Ohio State because we've talked about how Ohio State's pass defense really hasn't been tested and we don't really know when they're going to be tested. But I think I also kind of had this feeling of, okay, but who who has that offense that can really test them, who can really go toe-to-toe with how explosive the Buckeyes are on offense? And I think that answer is Tennessee. And so while Tennessee's defense certainly isn't scary, you know, I, I look ahead to a hypothetical Ohio State-Tennessee matchup in the college football playoff, and I think it probably looked pretty similar to what we saw on Saturday. I think it would probably be a shootout with both teams scoring a lot of points. That sounds like a a very fun matchup right there, Dan. It was funny because, you know, Jim Knowles on Tuesday during his press conference was asked about Tennessee because, you know, Tennessee just isn't a program that's been in that conversation at the the top of the heap here in the college football landscape. And that's what's kind of fun about a team like Tennessee and knocking off Alabama is that you get some kind of new thoughts on these new matchups that we haven't seen, you know, in the college football playoff and things like that. But Jim Knowles said that the Tennessee offense, you know, looks a lot like the offense's he went up against in the Big 12 while coaching for Oklahoma State and said that he's kind of systematically, you know, made his organized his defenses around offenses like that and even compared the Tennessee offense to the Ohio State offense. And so that's why, you know, maybe it would be kind of a, a mirror match type of matchup there for both of those programs. Certainly one that Ohio State could not, you know, gloss over. But of course, Dan, you know, Tennessee still has Georgia on that schedule. There's a lot of time to go to, to see how things kind of develop. And man, you just think about Tennessee, the fact that they might have to to knock off Alabama and Georgia in, in route to a, a CFP berth. And that, that, that's tough sledding right there. But if they can pull that off, I mean, that's that would really be something. Well, I think you look at the, the schedule now, and I think now there's two games you really circle right now is these could be the biggest games in the playoff race to come. And that's Georgia, Tennessee in the first weekend of November and Ohio State, Michigan on the last weekend of November, because those are the top four teams in college football right now. And we we talked about a couple of weeks ago, and I was going to bring it up again later in the show about that possibility of could Ohio State and Michigan both make the playoff? I look at Georgia, Tennessee, and I think that same question comes into play because you look at it, if both of those teams can go unscathed otherwise besides that game, could the loser of that game at 11-1 and one potentially get into the playoff? I think you know that's a, that's a conversation that could theoretically come up. Both those teams have other good teams they're going to have to play too, so it's no given that they won't lose to anybody else. But in that scenario, kind of like we've talked about with Ohio State and Michigan in the Big Ten, you know, I, I can already imagine the conversation now of if George, if the loser of Georgia Tennessee is eleven and one, and the loser of Ohio State Michigan is eleven and one, and there's a debate for a playoff spot, I can already imagine the, you know, theoretical SEC bias comments if eleven and one Tennessee gets in over an eleven and one Michigan, for example. So it'll be interesting to see how all of that plays out. Before we move on to Michigan, just looking at Alabama. And the question is, you know, can they get back into the, the playoff race? We saw we saw them do it last year. We saw them suffer a October loss last year to Texas A&M, and, and, and Bama was still able to get into the playoff, ultimately made it to the national championship game before losing to Georgia. But I'm not sure about this Alabama team. I mean, one stat that is really striking that I saw on Monday was Bama currently has the most penalties, 66 of any team in the FBS. And that just seems shocking for a Nick Saban team. And I think that's what really stood out to me watching Alabama 
against Tennessee on Saturday was I wasn't shocked that they struggled to stop Hendon Hooker and Jalen Hyatt. Like I wasn't shocked that their defense was a little bit overmatched against that Tennessee offense. What shocked me was how undisciplined Alabama looked at times because that's just not traditionally what we've seen from Nick Saban's teams at Alabama. So to, to see them playing with that lack of discipline and then, I mean, you just also look at the fact that, I mean, this is a team that was very, very dangerously close to losing against Texas A&M. This is a, game, a team that was dangerously close to, to losing against Texas. And 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 granted, you know, they, they didn't have Bryce Young for that Texas A&M game. Uh, that Texas game also could have gone differently if Quinn Ewers hadn't gotten hurt. And so, you know, those are the things that you have to navigate. But, you know, I, I look at Alabama and, I mean, certainly Alabama still has that path. If, if Alabama can win the rest of its regular season games, win the SEC West, and then win the SEC Championship game, Alabama is going to be in a college ball playoff. But I, I look at Alabama right now and I go, man, I, I'm not, I'm not so sure that they even get to an 11 and one regular season. I mean, I, you know, I, I just think that they're, they're, they're looking a lot shakier than I thought. And I mean, I, I picked Alabama to win the national championship before the season, and and. I mean, I say all that with a caveat of I'm never going to rule out a Nick Saban team. Alabama has been too successful for me to ever rule out Alabama. So if Alabama can get through the regular season, if Alabama can get through the college ball playoff, they have as good a chance to win the national title as anybody. They they still, right alongside Ohio State and Georgia, still have one of the top three, if not the number one most talented roster in college football. So Everything is still possible for Alabama, but I also look at Alabama you know, kind of like Ohio State a year ago where Alabama, they, they look like a flawed team right now. And I don't know, I think they've got some significant improvement they're going to have to make if they're going to reemerge as a legitimate championship contender. Yeah, the Crimson Tide still have ranked Mississippi State at number 24 next week on the schedule. They still have an undefeated Ole Miss team on November 12th at Ole Miss as well, the number seven team in the country right now. Still have LSU, obviously the Iron Bowl, playing Austin P. Dan in the penultimate week of the regular season. So, I mean, at least a couple of, of potentially dangerous matchups there, but I would not be surprised at all if they, you know, found a way to, to run the table through the rest of the regular season. And Dan, another team, one that, that plays in the same conference as the Buckeyes, of course, that looks Pretty promising to run the table in the regular season up until the final game of the regular season is Michigan because, you know, the Wolverines schedule had really been criticized going into this matchup with Penn State, who ranked number 10 coming into the weekend. You know, I think Michigan was only like a a, a seven point favorite going into that game, something like that. And then I think Michigan really separated itself from Penn State and really looks to be, you know, the team that that a lot of people thought they were, which is, you know, the potential college football playoff caliber team this season after of course making it for the first time last year end up dominating Penn State 41 to 17 really the run game Dan for, for Michigan continues to look just phenomenal with Blake Corum and Donovan Edwards I think in the second half Michigan outscored Penn State what was it something like 25 to 3 or something like that in the second half to really pull away there late and, and Penn State really couldn't do much on offense but J.J. McCarthy really didn't have to do a whole lot at the quarterback position in general, because those two running backs, like I said, combined for, you know, something like 400 yards and, and four touchdowns. I think overall the Michigan was well over 400 yards running the ball. Dan, just what were your takeaways from that matchup? And, and was it a wider margin of victory for the Wolverines than you were anticipating? I'd say it was a little bit wider, but I also wouldn't say that I was shocked. 
I mean, I, I, I know that I think Chase asked us before a game, our, our picks on those games. And I, I said, I did think Michigan would cover the seven point spread. And so I'm not shocked. I mean, I had it more like a 14, 17 point kind of game, but you know, I, I twofold. I mean, for one, I, I wasn't really sold on Penn state going into that game. And I, I think certainly we saw, you know, Penn state's flaws in that game, but I mean, I, I think I think Michigan's really good again. I mean, I think I think they're a comparable team to what they were last year. I mean, again, I think they're, they're a great running team. I think you know they're they're one of the best running teams in the country, and I think that offensive line is still really good. I think you know we we've talked about Travion and Mayan being one of the best one-two punches in the country at running back. I think Corum and Edwards are right there. I, I think I think Corum's playing fantastic, and and Edwards had a career game against Penn State, which could really give him some momentum going into the back half of a season. And, you know, I think, you know, we, we keep talking about, you know, when's Ohio State going to face that real test on defense? You know, you look at Michigan, I think they're the one team you look at and you go, okay, they're a really good running team and they can pass it. They're not an elite passing team, but it, it, they can pass it. I mean, J.J. McCarthy, I think depending on Talia Tagovailoa's health, you know, he, he he's either – Clearly the best quarterback they're going to face or, or one of the top two along with Talia. It sounds like Talia avoided a serious injury over the weekend. So it sounds like Ohio State will probably face him. So I think, you know, you look at Ohio State's schedule, I think the two best quarterbacks they're going to face in the regular season are going to be the last two in Talia Tagovailoa and J.J. McCarthy. But, you know, I think you add a, a talented quarterback in McCarthy who's both a passing and running threat with a, a really strong running game and, and a defense that's been playing well. And I think Michigan is dangerous. You know, I think if I if I could go back and and redo our conversation before the season, where I I think I had Michigan as the game I was six most confident Ohio State would win. Well, I'll say this: they're the game I'm six most confident Ohio State will win now regular season because they have six of them left. I'd say I'm I'm far more confident Ohio State will beat the other five teams on its regular season schedule than I am Michigan because I think Michigan is by far the best team Ohio State is going to play in the regular season. I would still pick Ohio State to win, but I do think just just looking at, I think they're going to be a real test. I think I think they're a legit top five team in college football right now, the way they're playing. And, and I think certainly Ohio State is going to have to be ready to play its best come November 26th. Yeah, Dan, Buckeye Buck asked us, uh, you know, last season Michigan bullied us up front. Last Saturday, their offensive landed much to the same to Penn State, very physical and relentless in the run game. Are you concerned that they can do the same to the Ohio State defense this season? And it's an interesting question because, you know, right now, where does Ohio State sit in rushing defense? Ninth in the country, giving up just 93.2 yards per game, we'll call it. And, you know, that has been a, a, a huge strength of Ohio State, which it had to be coming off of the heels of last season, coming off of what Michigan did to Ohio State, coming off of what Utah was able to do against Ohio State last season, what Oregon did to Ohio State. But you'll remember coming into the Michigan game last year, Ohio State was coming off of an absolutely fantastic game against Kenneth Walker and the Michigan State run game, which was a, a big threat in that department. And so I think you kind of thought coming into this season, okay, if Ohio State and Jim Knowles can kind of shore things up with some of the you know defensive linemen gaining some experience and everything like that, you know the the, the linebacker play under Jim Knowles being as productive as it you know was at, at Oklahoma State in previous stops, and, and then you if if Michigan also has kind of a, a step back perhaps doesn't quite resemble its its you know form from a year ago that you you'd have to like Ohio State in that matchup but the thing is as good as Ohio State's been against the run this season 
yeah, Michigan looks, you know, even better running the ball this year. So I think it really is going to be a, a strength on strength type of matchup there in that game. And, and, and I don't know how that matchup is going to go. We'll have to see how Ohio State continues to look, you know, defending the run as the season goes on. Yeah, I think the reason for confidence for Ohio State is I think Ohio State is significantly better on both sides of a line of scrimmage than it was last year. And so I, I, I you know, I, I think we knew going into that game last year that Ohio State, you know, even though they had done well against some, you know, weaker opponents, I think we knew, you know, it's based on what we'd seen in the Oregon game that I think we knew Ohio State could potentially be vulnerable in that area, you know, on both sides of a line of scrimmage. Right now, I, I don't get that vibe with this team. I think this is an Ohio State team that, you know, is capable of, of stopping the run even against better better runners, better offensive lines. And I think that is capable of running the ball even against better defensive lines. So it's going to be the biggest test of that all, all year long. I don't think there's any question about that. It's, it's going to be a big test. But I personally, just based on what I've seen from Ohio State this year, Right now, I would go into that matchup a lot more confident about Ohio State's chances to be strong in that area that they were not able to be last year. And then, Dan, yeah, on the, on the other side of the spectrum, Penn State, we were kind of talking about the Nittany Lions as being kind of a litmus test for the Buckeyes, given that Ohio State's schedule now looking back for the first half of the regular season, you know, hasn't been the exactly the strongest in the country given what we've seen Notre Dame kind of go through, what we've seen We've seen Wisconsin not look, you know, in, in its usual form in the Big Ten West there. And so Penn State being number 10 going into this weekend, kind of thinking, okay, man, if they can give Michigan a competitive game, you know, that's going to be another, you know, a, a really tough game for Ohio State to kind of test itself against. After that performance, though, you know, it, it, Penn State looks like pretty much just another Big Ten team. Now, was that the Michigan is, you know, just so good that it, that it made Penn State look that way? Or, you know, is, is Penn State really not quite that caliber right now. And I think it certainly gave me more confidence in Ohio State's abilities to potentially beat Penn State by several scores when that matchup ends up happening. Yeah, same here. I mean, obviously, one different factor is the Ohio State will play Penn State in Happy Valley, whereas Penn State played Michigan in Ann Arbor. But I'm with you. I mean, I I just don't, you know, I mean, I think if you look at Penn State, even the first half of the season, they went 5-0. and But you know, they struggled a little bit in that first game against Purdue, and they didn't really play anybody good. I mean, we, I mean, Auburn, we've seen, is not a very good team this year. And, and Michigan, by far, the best team Penn State had played all year. And, I mean, really, the, the final score actually made the game look closer than it even was because the first half, I mean, Michigan, even the first half, Michigan was pretty much dominating the game, but they had to settle for free field goals in the red zone, and there was a pick six by Penn State. So, I mean, that that final score really could have been even more lopsided than it was. And so I certainly didn't come out of that game thinking, man, Penn State is going to be a, a, a big test for Ohio State. Now, that doesn't mean that you can just go ahead and sharpie in a win for Ohio State by any means. I mean, again, it is it, it is, you know, going to be a road test, only the second road game of the year. You know, like you said, I mean, Michigan is a really good team. And so you know, I think Penn State is better than it looked in that game. But, you know, if, if I had to make my prediction right now, I'll actually make my prediction next week. But if I had to make my prediction right now, I, I would be picking the Buckeyes to win by multiple scores. And I think that if this weekend goes the way we expect it to, that Ohio State is going to be favored by multiple scores, even on the road next week. Is there any team in the in the conference right now, Dan, that, that that really makes you have any cause of concern for Ohio State besides Michigan? I mean, obviously, we just talked about how that's going to influence 
how this past weekend's game will influence, you know, kind of what we make of that Ohio State-Penn State matchup. Is Maryland kind of the only other team where that, that maybe presents a level of threat? But, you know, to remind you guys, we've got Iowa, Penn State, Northwestern, Indiana, Maryland, and then Michigan the rest of the way for Ohio State. And, and Dan, I'm not seeing a whole lot of challenges there besides, you know, the maize and blue. Yeah, for me, I, I think Maryland, I, I would put them as the second most dangerous team actually ahead of Penn State at this point, just because of what I've said about the pass defense being untested. I think, you know, and and I, I if we had recorded before, you know, the news came out that Talia Tagovailoa was probably going to be okay, my answer might be different because I was thinking, as I saw him go down, I'm thinking, man, they're not going to face anybody at quarterback until J.J. McCarthy. So I think it's actually a good thing for Ohio State if Talia Tagovailoa is healthy because I think they need that test before the Michigan game of going up against a better better passing offense. But because of that, I do look, you know, that that's one of those games I've had circled all year long. We saw what happened the last time they played Maryland in that slot late November, right before the Michigan game on the road. Ohio State ended up needing overtime to beat Maryland in that game. So that's still the game I look at and go, okay, if Ohio State is going to fall into a trap, if there's going to be a game where maybe they get caught looking ahead and, and the other team is good enough to give them a game if they don't play at their best. I still look at Maryland now. I, I mean, that doesn't mean I'm going to pick Maryland to beat Ohio State. I mean, I again, I, I would pick Ohio State to beat Maryland by multiple scores if I was picking right now. But that's still the game I look at and go, if there's, if there's any game out there that could be dangerous other than the obvious game, I, I look at Maryland. How about the Big Ten West right now, Dan? Illinois just keeps, you know, proving that that their success this season is not a fluke. They just keep winning games, Dan. Brett Bielema and company beating Minnesota 26 to 14. Obviously, Minnesota's been dealing with some some, you know, some injuries to important players on offense. Obviously, Tanner Morgan, Mo Ibrahim. But Illinois rattled off now, I think, five wins in a row, six wins in their last, uh, you know, seven weeks or whatever, whatever it is. Six and one record overall. And they are now tied with Purdue atop the Big Ten West. Purdue now, Dan, as well. Talk about another team that has a, a potent pass attack with Aiden O'Connell at quarter. You know, not a team that Ohio State is going to play in the regular season, but a potentially an intriguing matchup should they come out of the Big Ten West. They are coming off of a 43-37 to win over Nebraska. Purdue will actually play Illinois on November 12th as well. Dan, either of those two teams impressing you more, and uh, do you have a prediction right now in terms of who you expect to come out of the West now that we've seen how things have kind of shaken out in recent weeks. Illinois and Purdue died for the Big Ten West lead, just like we drew it up, right? <laughs> I mean, I, I cannot say that I saw this coming, especially with Illinois in the way that they've been playing. But right now, if I had to pick, I, I'd pick Burt to take the Illini to Indianapolis. Wow. The, the way that Illinois has been playing, you know, big game there. I think it's November 12th that Illinois and Purdue is going to play. Right now, that looks like it's going to be the game that decides the Big Ten West. But I, I would go with Illinois right now. I think they're playing Really good football. I mean, they got the biggest workhorse in the country. The guy writes skull sessions for us Monday through Friday, and then he goes out and he runs the ball 40 <laughs> times a game on Saturday. And of course, I am speaking in jest about Chase Brown, who is different than the Chase Brown, who works for 11 Warriors, but is currently the leading rusher in college football, already has over 1,000 yards this season. 
He's been fantastic. Tommy DeVito of a Syracuse transfer has played well for them at quarterback and, and they've been strong defensively as well. I think right now they rank number one in the country in points allowed per game. And so Illinois is playing really good football right now. You know, I, I think that'll be a really interesting game against Purdue. Like you said, I mean, if you're talking about better passing offenses in the Big Ten, Purdue is certainly one of them. You know, you, you know, you feel like Purdue, the thing about Purdue is you feel like they're always good. They're going to win a couple games that they shouldn't and then they're going to lose a couple games that they shouldn't too. So, you know, that's the thing I always wonder about Purdue. Like, are they going to lose one of these games that they really shouldn't? And that knocks them back in the race. But I, I got to go with Illinois. The, the, the way they're playing right now, I, I think if I got to pick who's going to be an Indy uh, from on the west side of the division, I got to go with the Illini. How about that matchup? Yeah, and few few saw that coming, but hey, Garrick Hodge is proud of you know his 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 home home state school there, and uh, you know he's a big fan of Brett Bielema as well. For anyone listening out there, but Dan, another national powerhouse that fell from the ranks of the unbeaten this week is USC, who you know I I had in my kind of CFP field for the last couple of weeks here, you know, talking about teams that could make it all the way, and you know they narrowly escaped with a win, or they almost escaped with a win against Utah uh, on Saturday, but a guy that, you know, Ohio State knows well, Cam Rising, ends up scoring a touchdown and two-point conversion with, I think, 48 seconds left on the clock in the fourth quarter to end up taking a one-point win, 43-42, from USC, who now has a loss stand. I think they fell all the way to, what, number 12 in the AP poll, something like that. And yeah, that, that kind of sets things back for Lincoln Riley and company. Caleb Williams, you know, still putting up huge numbers. I think he had five touchdowns and, you know, 400 some total yards in that matchup. So his, his Heisman stock is still kind of right up there in the mix with some of those guys. But in terms of USC, certainly a step down from their stock in terms of the CFP picture right now. Yeah. And I think it's making for a really interesting college football playoff race right now. And I I think we, 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 we've, we've focused so much on, on Georgia and Alabama and Ohio state, but I think, a weekend like this and getting the opportunity to watch all these different teams kind of made me zoom out and kind of look at more of the overall playoff picture. And I, I think it's setting up to be a pretty interesting playoff race because, you know, you know, certainly you look at it, you say, okay, if Ohio state or Michigan runs the table, they're in Georgia or Tennessee runs the table, they're in Clemson. They run the table they're, they're in, you know, after that, it starts, gets interesting. Like, I mean, you've got, you know, my, my feeling is like, you know, TCU still unbeaten in the big 12, UCLA still unbeaten in the PAC 12. Like I'd be surprised if either of those teams run the table, but you know, you, you get into some interesting scenarios. Like, like what if we get into a scenario and again, this is all what if there's so much more time to happen. We know more dominoes are going to fall, but this is just what if for fun scenario. I mean, what if you get into a scenario where the loser of Georgia, Tennessee has one loss and the loser of Ohio State, Michigan has one loss and USC wins for Pac-12 with one loss. You know, who gets in in that scenario? If, if TCU is a Big 12 champ with one loss or Oklahoma State's for Big 12 champ one one loss, who gets in in that scenario? You start, this is the time of year that you start thinking about all those different scenarios that, that could play out. And so I, it's going to be really interesting, I think, to just kind of see how this race un- unfolds. And I think we kind of had those five or six teams that we kind of focused on. But I think now that we're halfway through the season, you have to start to zoom out and look at some of these other teams that are still unbeaten. They're still up there at the top of those power conferences and, you know, not discount them either. I think, you know, but the one thing that makes it a little more clear is there's not going to be a Cincinnati this year because there are no unbeaten group of five teams left. So the group of five... 
for all intents and purposes, has been eliminated from a college ball playoff at this point. But all five of the other conferences have multiple teams that are still in that race. Ultimately, though, let's go ahead and update our predictions, Griffin. Coming off this past weekend right now, who would your four college football playoff teams be? Yeah, I'm trying to go through this in my mind here, thinking about you know some of the, the head-to-heads and, and things like that. I'm, I'm still keeping Georgia in that mix. You know, I would I, I guess I would still pick Georgia over Tennessee in that November matchup. Ohio State I'm putting in there as well. I think Ohio State will will go undefeated the rest of the way, you know, prior to CFP matchups potentially. I think Tennessee, because then you go, you know, even if if Alabama, if Alabama and Tennessee both have one loss, you have to give Tennessee potentially the edge there, given the head-to-head matchup, you would think. So I'm I I guess no, I'm that depends on what what your your I mean if if Georgia beats Tennessee but then Alabama has one loss, which would mean Alabama beats Georgia in the SEC championship. You think both Georgia and Tennessee get in over Alabama? Hold on, no, no, so. no. Alabama. I'm saying Georgia goes undefeated. Right. Alabama that, only that has the one loss. No, no, no. They would automatically have to Alabama would have to have loss. two losses. Correct, 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 correct. So then Alabama would okay, be Okay, so this is why I had to start. <laughs> yeah. I think breaking it down in my head. Yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, I guess I'm throwing Alabama out of the mix in that case. Which leaves me with, so yeah, so Georgia, Ohio State, Tennessee. And then what you're saying about, like, like USC does not give me a lot of confidence, but what you're saying about, you know, a, a, a one-loss Pac-12 champion potentially getting in there. I mean, I, I think the committee is going to favor a, a one-loss conference champion over, say, a one-loss Michigan that, that doesn't have a conference championship or something like that. So I think that's definitely a scenario that could play out. There's, there's a few, you know, big 12 teams that are kind of making some noise Obviously, Clemson as well. I don't know why I'm, I'm forgetting Clemson here. Another uh, kind of close game for Clemson as well, though, that that isn't necessarily inspiring all that much confidence in the in the fact that they might end up taking, you know, a loss at some point in the regular season themselves. I guess I, I guess I'll throw Clemson in there, Dan. Yeah, I mean, I'm gonna say I'm I'm mostly with you, honestly. I've cut. I'm gonna go with 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 Georgia and, and Ohio State. I'm gonna say they they win the the, the Big Ten and the SEC and, and they both get in. I'm going to put Clemson in there. I, I wouldn't have said earlier in the year that Clemson would would run, would run the table, but I just look at it now. I, I think they've played most of the better teams on their regular season schedule, and so I think I, I think things are starting to set up for them. I think DJ Uyongalale is playing the best football of his career, and so you know I, I I'm with you there in Clemson. Like you know, I'm not as sold on Clemson being an elite team as I am an Ohio State or a Georgia, but I still feel like things are starting to set up for them where I feel like it's most likely they finish with either, either undefeated or with only one loss and win the ACC championship. And that probably gets them in. So they're my third team. And yeah, that, that fourth spot's tough because it's like, I mean, you look at it, you've got UCLA, Oregon, USC. UCLA is undefeated. Oregon and USC both have one loss. So that's three possibilities there for the Pac-12 that could potentially get in as an unbeaten or or one loss Pac-12 champion. But I'm going to say enough chaos there happens in the Pac-12 that they don't make it. I'm going to say Tennessee and Michigan both finish at 11 and one. And the college football playoff sparks a brand new round of SEC conspiracy theories by putting <laughs> Tennessee in as the fourth team over Michigan. 
Hey, I, I could certainly see that happening right there. That, that would be an interesting situation. It certainly seems like we're going to come down to some very interesting conversations and, and some hair splitting when it comes time to make the final selections there. But Dan, let's, let's get back to the Buckeyes because they do come off of their bye week this weekend in a matchup with Iowa, who, you know, three and three start to open the season. They're coming off of a bye week, you know, in, in their own right. But Dan, it's it's really been a tale of two units for Iowa because on offense, they're they're absolutely dreadful. They're dead last in in total yards per game on offense. They're you know very low in almost every major statistical category as when it comes to offense. They've only thrown two touchdowns this year, Dan. I think they maybe have only run for five touchdowns or something like that. I mean, the stats are, are just dreadful all around for the Iowa offense. But on the other hand, it's not like they've been getting blown out by, by 30, 40 points by anyone because they, they have one of the best defenses in the country on the other side. And so they've been limiting teams on that end. You know, that's why some of their games have been single digit scores. You know, the nine to six loss to Illinois, the seven, three win over South Dakota state, the, what was a 10, 10, seven loss to Iowa state. I mean, there've been some, some low scoring games in that mix. And that's because of what I just said about, you know, the Iowa offense being pretty much terrible but the Iowa defense being pretty outstanding. So, Dan, how do you kind of see that shaking out in this matchup with an Ohio State team that puts up a ton of points on just about everybody it plays? Yeah, I mean, I think I think Iowa's defense is legit really good. Like, I mean, this is, I think, what, the fourth time this year we've talked about a team coming in as a really highly ranked defense. But I, I think Iowa, statistically, what if they've done so far this year, I think they're more legit than what, what we've seen from, you know, some of the teams earlier in the year. I mean, there's six games now. So that's that's a pretty good sample size. You know, Bill Connolly, who does his analytics, he has Iowa as the number one defense in the country in his SP plus metrics. And so I think this Iowa defense is legitimately a really good defense. And I think this will legitimately be a real test for Ohio State's offense. The biggest we've seen since that season opener against Notre Dame, in my opinion. I think you know, for Ohio State's offense, I think this will be a a real test of how good they are. I say it that way because I, I don't think this game is going to be particularly competitive because Iowa's offense is bad. I mean, there's no way to spin it other than Iowa's offense is really bad. I mean, <laughs> I okay. I mean, I, I'm just telling the truth here. They they rank dead last in the country in yards per game. They rank second last in the country in yards per play. They rank in the bottom five in the country in, in, in points per game. And so, I mean, this, I mean, you know, I, we were kind of laughing about it because Ryan Day has said several times this week that Iowa plays quote, complimentary football. And in my mind, they couldn't, they almost literally couldn't play less complimentary football because <laughs> yeah, their defense is great, but their offense is doing absolutely nothing to help. But I mean, this is a team that has lost games this year in which they have held teams to nine points and 10 points. That is not complimentary football. When you, when you, when your defense is holding a team to single digits and you lose, that is not complimentary football. And so I, I go into this game and I, I look at it, you know, when I just look at it from a score standpoint, from a competitive standpoint, I look at it and go, I, I, I just don't think there's any way Ohio, Iowa's offense can manufacture enough scoring to, to keep this game close. I, I, I just don't, I think unless either Ohio State's defense just doesn't come to play, which is not something we've seen at all yet this year, or if Ohio State's offense just plays inexplicably poorly, 
I, I don't think this game is going to be a, a close game in terms of the scoreboard because, I mean, I mean, Iowa's defense is great. They did give up 27 points against Michigan. And so, I mean, a good, a good offense and in Ohio State's case, an elite offense is going to find ways to score even against great defenses. And so I, I, I expect Ohio State to get its points and get more than enough to comfortably win this game. What I'm interested to see, though, is, you know, can, can Ohio State can Ohio State go in and, and and continue to look like an elite offense against Iowa's defense? Or does Ohio State have to slog a little bit in this game? I think we are going to learn something about Ohio State's offense and just how much can they do against a really good Iowa defense. If, if they can go in and just put up a ton of point points and look great, then I think that would be the biggest sign yet that this Ohio State offense really is elite. But I also think this Iowa defense is capable of maybe exposing some flaws that other teams haven't been able to yet. And so I think it really is a good test for the Ohio State offense, even if it doesn't necessarily mean that even a great defensive performance for Iowa might not even give it a good chance to win. Well, yeah, Dan, I mean, Ohio State is favored to win by 29 points in this game. Iowa hasn't even given up more than 27 points all season to any one opponent. So, I mean, that goes to show you what people think about this Ohio State offense and what it's capable of doing against a defense even as legitimate as Iowa's. And, and Dan, like you said, Michigan scored 27 points on this Iowa defense. You know, I think I think Ohio State has a better offense than Michigan. I'm going to predict Ohio State puts up 34 points, which, you know, that, that's not a crazy number for Ohio State, of course, considering what they've they've averaged and what they've done to other opponents, you know, in the Big Ten and, and just around the country. So so I'm, I'm expecting, you know, the Iowa defense to to cause some problems for the Ohio State offense in terms of what they would like to do. The 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 50 some points that I'm sure, you know, Ryan Day would like to put up in that game. But I'm only going to give Iowa 10 points, whether that comes, you know, by hook or by crook, whether that comes by on special teams, on defense perhaps even on offense, Dan, I will find a way into the end zone in that game. But, you know, it seems like the Ohio State defense has been searching for that, you know, shutout performance. This would seem to be a game where that could definitely happen given, you know, the, the stats we just rattled off there. But it's, it seems like, you know, every team has, has found a way to to at least, you know, put a, a, a couple points on the boards against this Ohio State defense. I'm going to, to, to think that that happens again, but only to the tune of, of 10 points for Iowa. So I'm going 34-10 Ohio State in this one. Yeah, my prediction, fairly similar to yours, but I am going to give Ohio State the cover. I'm going to go 38 to 3. I, I, I think, you know, I, I like, like you said, I, I, my thinking is, and we may get a better sense we talked to some players on Wednesday, but I think Ohio State's going to go into this game really wanting that shutout uh, on defense. I'm not going to quite give them a shutout, but I'll say they hold them to just a field goal. I think the way Iowa's, offense has struggled so far this year. I, I think this is a game where I think the expectation for Ohio State should be to go in and dominate defensively. And so I'm going to go, I'm going to go 38 free. You know, I have them covering, you don't, but we both have the game going under. Like I love the under in this game because I just don't, you know, I think most Ohio State fans, the reason they wouldn't take the under is because they think Ohio State might hit the over by itself. I, I'm not going to quite go there. I think I think Iowa 
defense plays well, they're going to try to slow the game down. I, I, I'm right there with you that I think Iowa can keep Ohio State in the 30s. They can limit Ohio State, but because of their offensive struggles, nowhere near enough to keep this game competitive. And I'm, I'm actually going to make an additional prediction here. I'm going to say Ohio State's defense scores more points than Iowa's offense. Oh, well. Yeah, I could certainly see it happening, Dan. And uh, But, you know, we, we, we mentioned last week, Dan, you know, it is the bye week for football. We're, we're coming out of that now. I'm sure lots of Buckeye fans are excited about the fact that Ohio State is getting back onto the field at Ohio Stadium. But, Dan, there's been a lot of basketball to talk about, honestly, because Ohio State's had, you know, a few media opportunities. I was just in Minnesota for Big Ten Media Day this past week. Before that, the, the day before I left for Minneapolis, as a matter of fact, Ohio State held an open practice at the Schottenstein Center. You know, I had gotten to watch a little bit of practice, you know, the, the, the previous year, but never something where, where fans were invited in. So that was kind of a new experience for me last week. And given the fact that there's so many new players on the team, Dan, and so much turnover on the roster, it was really a, a, a time to see these guys in action for, you know, some of the first time, you know, beyond the, the blacktop event that, that happened the week before that and some of the Kingdom League stuff that I got to watch over the summer. But in terms of you know, actual Buckeye, Buckeye on Buckeye, five on five scrimmage action. There was some two on two stuff, other drills, but they did go live in, in kind of some, some situational scrimmage type scenarios there. There was one where there was like 58 seconds left on the clock. Another one where there was like a, an end of game, six minute scenario, another kind of more free flowing opportunity. And, and I thought we got certainly some insights about, you know, how this Ohio State basketball team might end up looking, Dan. I thought, you know, Justice Suing didn't necessarily jump out at you right away, but it seemed like he really found his groove there. Once Ohio State got going five on five, hit some open threes, made some plays with the ball in his hand. Sean McNeil was a guy that, that impressed as well, knocking down some threes. Looks like a guy that could definitely, you know, stretch the floor and give some offense to the Buckeyes. Tanner Holden as well, the right state transfer, seemed to find a lot of crafty ways to score, you know, whether it be up and unders or, or offensive rebounds, things of that nature. Dan, anything that stood out to you from that? Because, you know, you and Garrick were both in attendance for that open practice as well. Yeah, I thought it was really informative session. I was like, glad that, you know, they did that and a- allowed people to watch that practice. And was, you know, I didn't know, you know, sometimes you sometimes they do those things and, and then, you know, they kind of just mess around and have fun with the fans. But like, we got to see like a real practice. Like it was like, real scrimmage. And I, I thought like it gave us a, a, a real taste of, you know, what this team could, could look like this year. And definitely, you know, I was at the blacktop event and the open practice and they were two very different vibes. The blacktop event, Chris Holtman would not have been thrilled of the fundamentals that were going on out there. It was, it looked like an NBA all-star game where it was really a lot of just dunking and, and having fun, which, which was apropos for that event. But I think watching them in that practice setting, kind of gave more of an idea of, okay, especially like guys like a freshman, like, you know, I've been high on the Bryce Sensabaugh train all along, but watching him into blacktop, a little bit more impressive in that setting than he was in, in an actual practice. And I think that's to be expected for a freshman. I still have high hopes for Bryce Sensabaugh this year, but it's also like, okay, when he's like actually being guarded, like, okay, he's, he's clearly very talented, but he he's still got a ways to go. And, and, and I felt that way about all the freshmen watching that practice. I, I think we both agreed, but out of a freshman, the guy who looked the most ready to play in that practice setting was Bruce Fortin. 
at point guard. Felix Akpara certainly had some eye-popping blocks as well. And if you go to 11 Warriors, I I actually did post video of, of all the scrimmage action on there. So if you weren't able to attend that practice and if you want to watch it, there's more than 20 minutes of, of video of all the plays on there. And you, know, you can certainly make your own observations. But you know, I thought certainly those guys had their moments. Like you mentioned, I thought Justice Suing and Tanner Holden both looked good. I thought Sean McNeil was impressive during practice as well. I mean, you can see him being a guy who's got some great shooting ability. But you know, I think without saying names, Chris Holtman kind of implied a few weeks ago during a press conference that Sean McNeil is... I think you kind of want to say Sean McNeil is not Justin Arns. He's got a little bit more <laughs> to his game than, than Justin Arns did because I think that's an obvious comparison people might make with those guys both being that three-point shooter type. And and I think watching Sean McNeil, you could see he's got that three-point shooting ability, but he's he's not just a one-dimensional player. He's got He's got a little bit more to his game than some of those other guys we've maybe seen in that kind of just spot-up three-point shooter role. And so I thought... All three of those guys were impressive. I thought, you know, Zed Key was impressive well. I think he had the highlight of the practice when he had a nice fast break dunk off of a steal. I think the uh, the three-point shooting we've heard about from Zed Key, I still need to see it to believe it. And I didn't really see it in that practice, nor did we see it in the Buckeyes at the Blacktop event, which Chris Altman <laughs> joked about at Big Ten Media Days. But he did say at Big Ten Media Days that, that Zed's been shooting it at about a, a 33% clip in practice. And so we'll see, does that translate over into the season? Because certainly it would be a big benefit for Zed if, if he can have that range to kind of score from the perimeter. But because we haven't seen it in game action before, I don't know if you're in the same boat as me, but I'm kind of still in the boat where I'm like, I got to see it before I'm really going to believe it. Yeah, I mean, in terms of the things that that we saw at that open practice, it really was actually nice in retrospect to have that practice be right before Big Ten Media Days because it gave you know me specifically some some things to to really actually ask about that we saw behind the scenes in practice, and uh, you know one of those being, I mean, is Zed Key really going to have the green light to shoot from three this season? Because I mean, he he shot a few in that practice. I mean, they did not go down. Obviously, the the three point shooting contest thing they didn't go down very often either. But I asked Ed Key, and he said. Yeah, like the coaches want me to shoot threes because it'll help stretch the floor for the Buckeyes. Obviously, they're trying to play smaller this year with really just one big on the floor. And then I asked, asked Coach Holman as well, you know, is, is Zed Key really going to have that, you know, green light from beyond the arc? And he he said yes as well. I mean, I, I wouldn't expect it to be more than one or two a game, to be honest, unless he starts knocking them down, you know, routinely. But I think at least to start the season, unless he misses his first 43s in a row or something that Ohio State does want him to be out there and kind of stretch the floor with that. I think another interesting thing as well, Dan, was that we actually saw Isaac Likely, who who spent most of his time running running point guard in one lineup. They actually you know switched things around to have Justice Suing running point and Isaac Likely playing the five for for the Buckeyes with Felix Okpara on the bench and you know in that lineup, Likely was actually guarding Zed Key. So that was another thing I was interested about because I'm like. Would they actually do that? Would they really like if if for for whatever reason Akpara and Zed Key were both out? Let's say they both you know are in foul trouble or one guy misses the game. Like is Isaac likely really the the backup center beyond those guys? And uh, likely was kind of telling me that that the, the coaches kind of challenge him sometimes with giving him a guy like Zed Key to guard. Likely is a physical guy. I think he's what like six five six six at that you know point guard position. But I know also when when Ohio State brought him in, it was kind of like. He is so strong and sturdy and, and kind of physical that we can play him 
maybe as a as a four or something like that this season if we need to. I didn't expect him to be playing him as a five in that lineup, but even on offense, I mean, Isaac likely has has some post-up skills down low that I saw in his Oklahoma State highlights, and we saw a little bit of that in that practice as well. Another interesting note from, from Big Ten Media Days, well, Coach Chris Holman actually named Ohio State's captains officially. We had previously heard that Justice Suing would be a captain as he was last year, but actually the three representatives for Ohio State that were at, in Minneapolis, those being key, Suing, and likely actually are Ohio State's three captains Holtman said that there, there might be another captain added to that list as well. He, he mentioned Gene Brown as the front runner there for that potential honor. But, you know, maybe he has to see more from Brown in terms of leadership or something before that that title would materialize. But, you know, I certainly think it's interesting that likely he's getting the nod as a captain, despite having never actually suited up to play a game for Ohio State, you know, so far given his transfer status. It almost feels like there's some some parallels there between the other Oklahoma State transfer at Ohio State this year of Tanner McAllister, where... Uh, he's kind of come in and been an uh, immediate leader uh, even before he's ever played a game for the team. And my understanding, you, you were there, my understanding is he doesn't like us calling him Isaac. He wants us to call him Ice. Is that correct? Well, he says nobody calls him Isaac. He says it's it's weird for anyone to call him Isaac. And he said even watching like get the broadcasts of his games at Oklahoma State back, that the broadcasters would exclusively refer to him as Ice likely and things like that. And I mean, the nickname like, you know, makes sense, Isaac, Ice. And he was kind of telling telling everybody how that origin came to be. Just somebody in his in his town uh, started calling him Ice when he was like a freshman in high school. And that's kind of what it's been ever since. They were also calling Justice Suing Sway. Like, they were like exclusively referring to him as Sway, which I don't think I'd ever previously heard. But I guess you, you can add that one to the list as well. I thought another fun anecdote was that, you know, everyone knows with Zed Key, you got the the finger guns was his kind of his go-to move his freshman year. Last year it was the raising the roof, which he's he's still been doing. You know this uh, preseason as well. I asked him, you know, in his, in your third year, are you going to add a, another move, another signature move to that repertoire? And he said uh, he he's not going to name it yet. But if he starts hitting threes, he might have a special three-point celebration. So Buckeye fans, uh, get excited for that one. Didn't didn't he say that it might be a backflip? Yeah, yeah. He he also added he also added that it might just be a backflip, which. You know, Zed Key can do a lot of things, you know, on a basketball court, but I'll believe that one when I see it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, me too, but I hope we get to see it because that would would be a lot of fun. Now that you have, you know, seen this team, we've had a few opportunities to, to talk to the guys be- before the season. I think, you know, we can kind of project out kind of what this lineup is, is going to look like. And I think, you know, you know, certainly – we expect Justice Suing and Zed Key to be in that starting lineup. You know, I, I think my guess would be is I think most likely, if I was picking right now the, the starting lineup for the season opener, I would go with Justice Suing, Zed Key, and the free transfers being Tanner Holden, Sean McNeil, Isaac Likely. I, I think probably the one I'm least certain on would probably be that point guard spot where I think Bruce Fortin could potentially be a starter from day one. But I think my guess would be it's those free transfers with Zed Key and Justice Suing. And then the four freshmen that we expect to play this year, those being Bruce Fortin, Roddy Gale, Bryce Sensabaugh, Felix Akpara, all of them having roles in the rotation as well as Eugene Brown. Yeah, I like where you're going with that, Dan. I think, you know, you have to figure that that key ensuing are, are definite locks to be starters there with likely being named a starter or a, a captain as well. You would think 
you know, maybe he, you know, starts as well. He, I think he started every game he ever played at Oklahoma State, or maybe there was two games he didn't start or something like that. But it's tough at the same time because Bruce Thornton, to me, I, I really think he looks game ready. He's a guy that, you know, he is a floor general and, and he can set up offense for others. He's a hard guy to guard when he drives into the lane. He's got a quickness to him, a physicality to him. And Dan, he's a he's a much better three-point shooter than Isaac Likely. And I think that could be another factor there because Isaac Likely, when he was transferring in, you know, from, from what I was told, he, he's just not a guy that's going to be knocking down threes for the Buckeyes this season. So, you know, that's just an element of, of, of his kind of game that he does not have. We saw Bruce Thornton hit some, some threes in that scrimmage. I, I saw him hit a bunch of threes in Kingdom League as well. So I think that's a little bit of an advantage that you, you have to weigh out there when you're kind of considering pros and cons between those two guys. Likely, obviously, having the experience, the toughness, the size advantage there. And I think we'll see both of the, those guys start at times this year, but I do think that's a very tough battle. And then, you know, those other two wing spots, how do you kind of slot those guys in? Because, like you said, I think McNeil has a good a good chance to start Tanner Holden as well. You have to remember, though, Tanner Holden has you know, an additional year of eligibility with the Buckeyes as well. So it's not as though he had to negotiate a, an immediate starting role or something like that with Ohio State necessarily. But at the same time, with all the freshmen on the team, it's like, you know, if he's not starting this year, depending on the development of the other guys, you know, who knows what happens. Gene Brown, you know, Holtman talked last year a lot about how Gene Brown was going to have a huge role for this team. Right now, Dan, I still think that that there's, there's just a lot of wings and Gene Brown right now seems like kind of, you know, maybe just another wing, but but we'll see what happens with him. And then the reason I think Roddy Gale could could be right in that mix too is because Chris Holtman named Bruce Thornton and Roddy Gale, the two top rated players in this class for Ohio State, as you know, he said, their development this season is going to be as key as anything, potentially the most important factor for Ohio State's success. So that would make me think that, you know, he thinks highly of Roddy Gale. I think we, we already knew that about Bruce Thornton for the fact that Ohio State is, is willing to put the ball in his hands this early in his career. But Roddy Gale as well is in that mix. So yeah, I think the point guard, the point guard battle, and then those other two kind of wing spots next to Justice Suing are kind of the hardest things to suss out there. I think too, you know, I think a big hallmark of his team and, and Chris Holtman has talked about it a lot is going to be its versatility and its ability to, to do a lot of different things, to play different lineups. And so I think to some extent, the starting lineup from game to game could be matchup dependent. And I, I think all 10 of those guys we talked about, I think they're all going to play. I think they're all going to play a significant number of minutes this year. I think they're all going to be in the rotation. Again, there's probably going to be some games where some of, you know, like I said, I mean, I mean, You'd think Zed Key's going to start every game. You'd think Justice Suing's going to start every game. Those might be the only two guys who start every game. Every everyone else may be a little bit more matchup dependent. Like again, if they're if they're going up against a bigger team and playing better defense as a priority, Isaac Likely's probably going to be in a starting lineup and, and play a lot of minutes. If they're if they're going into a game where they feel like they really need to be able to shoot shoot free well and and you know, maybe they're not as concerned about size or defense. That might be a game where likely doesn't play that much. And so I think, I think the good thing for Ohio State is I think they have the ability to play in a lot of diff- different ways to construct a lot of different lineups based on how they want to play teams. I don't think they're boxed into having to play one certain style of basketball. I think they have the ability to play a lot of different styles of basketball. And I, and I think that could be reflected in the facts, but I'm not sure if a starting lineup is going to look the same every game from one game to the next. 
Yeah, I'm certain we'll see a lot of different looks this year as far as a starting lineup. But Dan, you know, those weren't the only Buckeyes that were in Minneapolis for Big Ten Media Days because I think last year was the first time they started doing the joint women's and men's basketball media days all as one event. I could be wrong on that, Dan, but I believe it was the first time. Yep. So for the women's Buckeye team, head coach Kevin McGuff, J.C. Sheldon, and Taylor Mike Sell were all there. I didn't spend the full 30-minute breakout session with Sheldon and Mike Sell but it was it was you know fun fun talking to them about what could be a very very good season for this Ohio State team. Kind of good to see, and this was reflected in their answers as well. Like just good to see Kevin McGuff, you know, having success in that program after just a couple of years ago. Obviously the postseason ban and kind of the whole assistant coaching scandal and everything like that, and some key transfers out of the program. To see this this program, you know, potentially going to make a, a a really you know deep run in the tournament this year was certainly something that was good to hear them talking about. It's going to be a, a very guard heavy, a guard play oriented team for the Buckeyes this season. That was something they talked about a lot and, you know, nice to hear from those guys. Yeah. I think, I think if you like women's basketball, I think you definitely should pay attention to Ohio state this year. They were 14th in the preseason poll that came out on Tuesday. You know, they made a sweet 16 last year and that was about one of their best players, Madison green. And they, they've really brought basically you know, the vast majority of their key players from last year back. That certainly starts with J.C. Sheldon and Taylor Mikesell, who I think are going to be one of the best backcourt duos, certainly one of the best scoring duos in the backcourt in the country, both of them. Really talented players. And I think adding Madison Green to that mix, allowing J.C. Sheldon to play off the ball a little bit more, along with Taylor Mikesell, I think that's going to make this team really dangerous on the perimeter. You know, they they also have Rebecca McCool-Shakova back, who she's, you know, a good post player, who's also got that range to to shoot shoot from free. So, you know, she she's a really good player as, as well. And, you know, I know they've brought in, you know, a couple transfers, some talented freshmen as well. And so I think they've got a really, I think they've got a really strong roster. I think they're going to be able to, you know, really build off of what they did last year and should theoretically be better. And so, you know, certainly I think the goal for Ohio State women's basketball this year would be elite eight or better. I mean, that's, that's, they should be better than they were last year. So I think, you know, starts off with, you know, trying to win a a big 10 title. They, they, they did, you know, they did have a big 10 regular season title last year. So I think certainly that's something that they want to accomplish again. But yeah, I, I I think this is an Ohio state team that is going to be a, a, a real contender in in women's basketball this year. And, And I'm looking forward to seeing what they're able to accomplish. And if you're jonesing for Buckeye basketball, by the time you're hearing this, it'll be less than two weeks before Ohio State starts with, with an exhibition against Chaminade on November 1st at 7 p.m. at the shot. The actual season starts six days thereafter against Robert Morris. And obviously there'll be football coming up well before that as well, Dan. So what Griffin's telling you is that he's going to be really busy for the next couple months as our lead basketball writer while football is also in the second half of a season and then potentially continuing on to, I mean, we know they're going to play in the postseason. Certainly the hope from all of the Ohio State fans listening out there is that it will be a college football playoff run. And so lots of stuff happening in, in Ohio State sports right now. Certainly football will continue to be our primary focus here 
over the next couple months as the Buckeyes start their second half of the season and try to make a run at a national title. But we will continue to talk about basketball as well on a more regular basis now that we are getting close to the beginning of the season. So we hope you enjoyed all the conversation this week about both Ohio State football and, and basketball. Ohio State football playing Iowa at the shoe on Saturday at noon. That game will be televised on Fox. As always, we will be at Ohio Stadium reporting on it all, and we'll be back next week to talk about the Buckeyes game against the Hawkeyes and preview a much-anticipated road trip to Happy Valley.